We get to celebrate not only new physical life this morning, but also new spiritual life. And so I just want to take a few moments. Unfortunately, we don't have time for a full message this morning because we have so many that have come to be baptized. And we're thankful for that. We have seven this morning who will be baptized. Each of them uh, will share their testimony. So we've pre-recorded those so that you'll be able to see those and hear those and rejoice at what God has done. And then we'll baptize them. Uh, we're not able, the school won't allow us to bring the baptismal into the building. So it's set up just outside with a camera. So you'll be able to watch that here inside. Uh, but if you are a, 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 a close friend or family member and you want to come out and physically see the, uh, the baptism, you're welcome to just sneak out and, and do that. It's okay if there's some movement back and forth between the two. But all of it will be shown here on the screens. But I just want to be really uh, clear about what the significance of baptism is and what it isn't. Uh, we want to make sure that we understand there's nothing magical about water baptism. Uh, this does not confer any special grace upon these that have come to be baptized. It certainly doesn't secure their eternal life. When the scriptures talk about baptism, what it means is these are people who have come to be redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ through the gospel so that a spiritual transformation has already taken place in their lives. And what they're doing now is simply following the Lord Jesus Christ in obedience in the way that, that he commanded us to be baptized as a, a, a profession of faith to the world, to say that I have been redeemed and I have freely and publicly identify myself with the Lord Jesus Christ in the way that he prescribed. And we have that prescription for us in the, in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. This is after Jesus' resurrection, just before his ascension. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so while baptism is is not a, a saving, it doesn't save these people. It is important because it's a command of our Lord. And you might be curious, why this particular symbol? Of all the outward ways that our Lord could have given us to, to profess faith in Christ publicly, why did he give us baptism? Well, I, I think there are several passages we could turn to to answer that, but one that comes to mind is a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 11, the Apostle Paul begins with the negative and moves to the positive. And let me, let me explain this to you just for a few moments. 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 9, reads this way. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. He begins there with the negative, saying that we are all sinners. We deserve God's wrath because of our sin. And yet in verse 11, he turns the corner to the positive and says this, Such were some of you. Talking to the church. He's talking to believers here. Such were some of you. Some of you used to be characterized by all the sins on the list that were just read. Well, what happened? The word but is here next. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified 
in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. What he's saying is these, these people today, for example, who are being baptized, are not being baptized because they're good people who have somehow earned favor with God. No. They are those who are sinners who have come to understand their sin for what it is and confess it as sin against a holy God. They've also come to understand that only by putting their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ can they have salvation. They've come to understand the gospel. The gospel is the simple message that Jesus Christ, who was God in human flesh, came to live a perfect life. He never sinned, not even once. And then he offered his perfect life as a sacrifice for sin on the cross and rose again to life on the third day. And now he freely offers to anyone who will repent of their sins, turn from their sin to the Lord Jesus Christ, putting their faith in him alone as their only hope of salvation. They will be saved and given new spiritual life. That's what this passage is talking about. He says, you used to live this way, you used to be dead in your sins, but because of the gospel of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified, you were made right before a holy God, not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done. And so these who are coming to be baptized are not coming to profess their good works, but their great Savior. They're coming to admit, I was trapped and dead in my sins, but God... God faithfully opened my eyes to the truth of the gospel in Jesus Christ, and I freely confess him as the Lord of my life, and I seek to follow him for the rest of my days until he brings me home. And so we're celebrating that new spiritual life that's already come to pass in the lives of these who will be baptized today. So what we're going to do now is I'm going to pray. Randy's going to come and lead us in some time of worship through song, and then we will have the baptisms right after that. Let's pray together. Lord God, what a joy it is this morning to celebrate life on two different fronts, to see new physical life in these little babies who have been brought forward, and to see the spiritual life that you have brought in these who have come to be baptized. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that there is hope for us as sinners. Though we recognize we don't deserve your grace or your kindness, you freely and lavishly offer it to us in your Son because of what he has accomplished on our behalf. We celebrate you, we celebrate the gospel today as we hear these testimonies and as we sing these songs. May you be lifted high in all that we do. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Hi, my name is Lori Dixon. I remember having a Bible as a young child. I don't remember having much of, of it read to me. I also attended church some, but when I was in the second grade, my parents divorced, and I don't remember going to church as a family much after that. I would go in my closet and talk to the Lord through my journal. I wasn't sure if he was listening, but I knew I was scared for my mom and that she needed help to raise five kids. I hoped that God could hear me. Hebrews 11.1 1 states that now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith was something I didn't understand as a child. Even when I attended church with my teenage friends, I never spent much time really studying the gospel. I remember always being jealous of those who understood and wondering why I didn't know God too. Years later, when my husband and I got married, we had a photo taken with our hands on the Bible. And I look back now and think about how I simply did that because the photographer told me to do it. How shallow that seems to me now. I realized that though I knew God existed, I didn't truly know God. 
John 8:47 states that whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. 35 years later, my husband and I have three grown children, and until the past few months, we had not spoken of God to each other or to our children. My children did not have the gift of growing up knowing God's glory and the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. I've taught many lessons to children in my classroom, but have not taught the most important lesson I could teach to my own children. It isn't just about knowing that the Lord exists, it's about truly knowing the Lord. I couldn't teach anyone about Him until I knew Him myself. Proverbs 2, 6, For the Lord gives wisdom from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. The past few years have been difficult ones for me. I was injured at work and that brought with it not only a physical struggle, but more importantly, an internal struggle. It had me questioning why I should do good things for others when I wasn't receiving the same in return. It became hard to trust the professionals I encountered as I was seeking care for my injuries. I became a person that lost patience quickly and my family felt the brunt of that. I fell into a state of why me? And being that person was exhausting for me. Matthew 6, 23, the eye is the lamp of the body, so then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. After over a year of feeling that the world was an unfair place, I finally had surgery and was referred to a physical therapist. Throughout the time I received care, there were various Bible verses written on a whiteboard that hangs on the clinic wall. I remember reading them each time and thinking briefly about what they meant, but not really going much farther than that. There was, however, one day when I finally asked Andrew, my PT, about the verse because it hadn't changed for a while. Here I was, a person who didn't know God, but I knew that I had read the same verse from that whiteboard before and obviously wanted to read and understand more. It was like being stuck on the same page and wanting to continue the story, but I couldn't do that on my own. In Mark 2.17, Jesus tells us it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I realize now that the Lord was at work in that clinic. He had given me just the right place and physical therapist to help open my eyes, and more importantly, my heart to His Word. It all started with a few verses on a whiteboard, and then a question about whether I attended church. I said that I didn't, and my PT mentioned that if I ever wanted to, he could recommend one for me. As I walked in my neighborhood a few days later, I remember listening to a song which I had heard several times before. There's a line in it that says, the only scars in heaven are on the hands that hold you now. Each time I'd heard that song before, I thought of my mom, but on that day, the Lord helped me realize the scars they were singing about are, on the, are the scars on our Lord Jesus Christ himself. The human scars remind us of the pain he endured as he carried our sins and took our place in death. Luke 24:39. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. I spoke out loud to God that day, and I remember crying and yet feeling an overwhelming sense of joy. My words were awkward, but I felt like God was listening and that He knew where my heart was. I knew where my heart was at that moment, too. I confess that I never truly knew him before then, and that I had never shared his word with my children, that I didn't like the person I'd become, a person who was self-centered, focused on my situation and what others were doing to me. And that day, the Lord had my undivided attention. I knew what I needed, so I emailed my PT and I asked him for the address of the church he had mentioned. 
Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. The very next Sunday, I stepped out of my comfort zone and walked into the doors at North Lake. Though I walked in alone, I didn't feel alone for I knew the Lord was with me. I now have an uncontrollable thirst to read and study God's word. I've asked for forgiveness for my sins of ignorance, for not allowing myself, that little girl in the closet so many years ago, to know God, but for more importantly, for not understanding where my heart should have been my entire adult life in accepting Jesus Christ as my Savior, as I do now. I'm aware that it's okay that I don't know everything. A wise PT once told me that we all walk together in our walk with the Lord, and I'm realizing more each day that he's right. Through the sermons on Sunday, Bible study, personal time with the gospel, and discussions with others, my realization is that this walk is not done alone and that there's always more to learn and a deeper understanding to gain. Colossians 1 10, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. The Bible is no longer an unopened book in my home. I spend time with the Lord's Word every day. The Lord, Lord is also guiding me to share His Word with my family. Sundays are now my favorite day as I get to hear His Word through the sermon and song. I now look forward to Mondays because that means I've been given another day to learn and grow. My heart is filled with joy as I strive to be a better mother, wife, teacher, friend, and most importantly, to be one who's worthy of God's grace. I praise the Lord and thank Him for His sacrifice. I thank Andrew, my PT, who with the Lord's guidance and some well-placed verses helped me reset my life's compass. I thank Chris, Beverly, and my small group for their patience and understanding. I thank Pastor Dusty and all the church leaders for the care they take each week to share the truth in God's Word. I have walked out of my comfort zone only to find where true comfort really is with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm humbled to be here today to be baptized in his name. Well, praise the Lord for what he's done in your life, Lori. We are so grateful that you shared that with us and just reminded us of several things. One, there's a difference in knowing about God and knowing God. And we're so thankful that you have come to know him. And so it's because of that that it is my joy today to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hello, my name is Josh Hager, and this is my testimony. I am being brought up in a Christian home and have been taught the Bible from a young age. I was always afraid of death and doing everything I could to make myself right with God, somehow knowing I couldn't. I would lie awake at night knowing how sinful I was and that I deserved God's just punishment, but I didn't know how to get God to forgive me. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. As time passed, I came to know that despite my sin, nothing I could do would save me. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, it's the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. By his Holy Spirit, he has given me faith to believe in him, to save me from my sins, as it says in Romans 10, 10, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. 
Since then, I have continued in the battle with sin, knowing now that it does not fall on me to make myself right with God, but only on Jesus Christ's perfect sacrifice for all of my sins. The Holy Spirit is working through my life to produce fruits of obedience and self-control, such as obeying the first time I'm asked and not grumbling when I'm asked to do something I'd rather not do. And I have peace, as Romans 5.1 says. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that is why I'm here today to be baptized. Well, Josh, thank you for sharing with us and reminding us of the great peace that comes only through the Lord Jesus Christ and knowing Him. And so we rejoice with you now, and it is truly my joy to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. My name is Riley, and this is my testimony. Before I was saved, I thought I could save myself, even though I grew up hearing that I needed a savior. I was very proud of my own accomplishments and thought that I was automatically less sinful than everyone else just because I went to church. I was always jealous of what other people had, and I was never content. I was dead in my sin and sadly rejected the gospel multiple times. I even convinced myself that I was listening with open ears when I, in fact, wasn't. I was at my first fall camp with Countryside in sixth grade, and we were doing small group time after the Sunday morning lesson, before we were supposed to leave. I remember asking a whole bunch of questions that just led to more. My small group leader, Jill, ended up taking me into a separate room to talk to me, and we prayed, and I was saved in that moment. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. I realized that I've been trying to save myself when I should have been depending on God to do that for me. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. I was depending on my parents' faith in going to church to save me instead of my own faith. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, meaning that everyone is a sinner, not just a select few. Everyone needs salvation, and everyone must repent and believe to be saved. Titus 3.5 says, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. This means that the only thing that saves us is repentance, and no amount of works we do will get us a ticket to heaven. Since I have come to Christ, I am more diligent and consistent in reading my Bible, praying, and sharing the gospel. I strive to do everything for the glory of God and have become dependent only on Him for my salvation. I am more content with the things I have and have a desire to go to church and engage in fellowship with other believers. My relationships with my friends and family are now more Christ-centered. When it comes to cultivating my walk with God, I try to spend good, concentrated time with Him. I also seek wisdom from the godly models in my life, such as my youth leaders and parents. I consistently attend church services as well as youth group. This is why I'm here to be baptized today. Amen. Riley, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And it's a good reminder to us, too, as parents, as we seek to raise our kids in the Lord, they're going to have questions along the way. Sometimes they may seem more interested than others. And 
and may have uh, some back and forth in that process. And just to be faithful, keep sharing, keep praying for them. We're thankful that the Lord did bring the gospel home to bear in your heart so that you now know him. We're encouraged to hear of your story of how you came to know Christ. But because of your clear testimony, it is my joy and honor to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Good morning. My name is Jesse Frankland. This is my testimony. I grew up believing that there was no God. I was well provided for by my family. In my youth, I had many sunshine-filled days. I believed I had no need for God. After all, I had everything I needed, I thought. Um, I believed I was a good person, and this was my worldview until I was in middle school. I then went to a, a summer church camp with a friend of mine. I started going to that church. Um, in eighth grade, I decided to follow Jesus. Um, to me, this meant uh, that I believed God created the world and sent his son to die for our sins so that we could be saved from eternal death. But I was missing something crucial um, in my belief. I continued to live my life as I had, seeking to find joy in activities, things, comfort. I found my only large concern was my happiness. I still had a belief that I was a good person and God wanted me to be happy. Um, but uh, later I was baptized around my sophomore year in high school because I hadn't been baptized before. Um, and I understood baptism to be an action a follower of Christ would do as a sign to the church body that I follow Christ, but I, I didn't. I followed the desire of my flesh. I was selfish, prideful, and ungrateful. I saw myself as good, but when it boiled down to it, I was a sinner in need of a savior. I realized this when my college mentor, Albert, uh, helped me realize my sin and recognize it. Um, Isaiah 64, six says, for all of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are, are like a filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. And Albert called me to heed, heed Christ's words. Um, in Luke uh, 9, 6, 23 through 26, Christ says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I realized I was missing my faith in Christ. I believed living my life how I wanted to live it was better for me than living how he wanted me to. I found out uh, by living how I wanted, like Solomon did, uh, this world has nothing to offer. Uh, that can satisfy anyone's soul. Ecclesiastes 1.14 says, I have seen all the works uh, which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. Seeing the meaningless uh, life that sin offered me, I searched for something better. Uh, but I saw one other issue, uh, my sin was unescapable. 
In John 8:34, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin, but Christ is not just the person who paid our debt, but he is God. Uh, he is the God that sets us free from the chains of sin and fear. Romans 22 says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit that leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. I don't have a specific moment uh, where I know I was saved, but it was, it has been uh, a rather continual slow growth for me sometime between my sophomore year and junior year in college. Um, but as I grew to live for Christ, I no longer had the same desire to chase after my old sin patterns. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, and behold, new things have come. The Lord put a desire in me to love my wife, children, and others more than myself. He put a will in me to know his word and to want others to know his objective truth as well. He is helping me to put off my sin and renew my mind. I didn't just gain a safety net for the next life, uh, but I gained actual life today and every other day the Lord gives us. I wanna say thank you to those who have poured your prayers, time and energy into me. Um, and I wanna let those know who are listening, who don't have faith in Christ, that they can be saved today if they repent of their sins and believe in Christ. Thank you. Jesse, thanks for sharing with us what God's done in your life and really describing to us the difference in a verbal confession of faith and true repentant faith in turning to Christ. And we're so thankful that God in his grace has brought you to true saving faith in him. And we celebrate that with you now. And it's my joy to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Good morning, my name is Beverly McFarland. Before salvation, I was living for myself in unrepentant sin without feeling godly conviction. I grew up going to church, so I knew that sinning is bad, but I thought that I could continue to sin because I knew God would forgive me if I asked him to. Romans 6, 1 says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? My answer at the time was yes, but God's answer continues in verse two, as Paul states, May it never be. How shall he, we who died to sin still live in it? I had not died to sin, but rather I was spiritually dead in my sin. I didn't understand that true repentance required me to turn away from revealed sin in my life. I wasn't living my life for God, but for myself. The Lord caused me to become more convicted in my sinful life, so I began to pray to Him, asking that He take my sinful de desires away and fill me instead with a desire for His Word and for obedience. I had never really spent much time reading my Bible, so a friend encouraged me to read Romans. As I was reading my Bible, God opened my eyes to the truths that I had never fully understood before, but I had been taught every Sunday of my life. I understood that Christ died on the cross for my sins, but it never truly hit me that He also lived a perfect and holy life that I could never live and died the death that I deserve. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Romans 8.3-4 For what the law could not do, 
weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Having been saved by our gracious Lord, I no longer live in unrepentant sin. I have a different perspective on my life. Rather than living for myself and pleasing man, I yearn to live for my Creator and please Him. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself up for me. I am here this morning to obey God's command to be baptized and to publicly confess that Christ is Lord. Amen. Beverly, thank you for sharing with us and just reminding us that we may hear the gospel many, many times, but until the Lord turns on the light and helps us truly understand, um, we're still in darkness. And the Lord did that through the word, as he always does for you, and we're thankful for that reality. So it's our joy to celebrate with you, and it's my joy to baptize you now. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Good morning, my name is Ryan Glanzer. I grew up in the church is a familiar phrase and story for many of us, and mine isn't much different. My family raised me in the Methodist church, meaning that I was baptized as a baby with the promise that my parents would raise me to know Christ. If only it was that simple. Fast forward many years of the Sunday ritual of Sunday school followed by big church, known as main service, I was now 15. Life at age 15 is full of what you would expect, a drive for independence, a growing knowledge of how the world works, yet lacking any real experience on how to handle it. As the reality of real world problems came to surface, both inside my heart and mind, I was handling things the best that I could. However, despite all the years of going to church, I hadn't heard the gospel and I certainly didn't know Christ. A reliance on myself was largely characterized by pride and subsequent impatience and anger to handle my problems. In the Methodist church, parents would send their teens through a confirmation process with a mentor to be sure we knew what salvation was. I was paired up with another member of our church who also happened to be our family doctor. I had a great respect for Dr. Benold, but honestly, I would have rather been watching TV or doing anything that evening of our first meeting. I recall bickering with my parents as to the, why do I have to do this again? I already go to church, so I'm good. Well, Dr. Benold scooped me up in his Jeep dropped by shortstop for a bag of burgers and fries, and he drove me out to our town lake. We took a short hike and found a bench to eat our dinner with the sunset in the background. He asked me if I'd ever heard the gospel. It was at that moment that I realized that I hadn't. He shared the gospel with me, and as he did, I realized the great error of what I thought to be true. I realized that up to that point, I thought all I had to do was simply be a good person. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. At first glance, I was relieved that it wasn't my works or good deeds that saved me. Yet at the same time, I learned that there was a penalty for my sin. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 tells me that for the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans goes on to state in 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There are some moments in life that we don't forget, and that was one of them. I placed my faith in Christ at that moment, 
And as I sat by the lake that evening, my life would never be the same. It didn't mean that I went home and I was the perfect teenager. I certainly didn't have a PhD in Bible. What I had in my heart was a peace like no other, that my Lord Jesus died for me. He lived a perfect, sinless life, suffered an excruciating, humiliating death on the cross for me. I didn't do anything to deserve it. It truly was the best gift I could ever receive. Since that day, my life changed. I was eager to learn. I was gifted a study Bible that Christmas, and rather than being forced, I was excited to join a weekly youth group Bible study. There was a period of growth as I finished out high school. Regrettably, I allowed myself to drift in college. Through taking full-time classes and a busy job on the side, I didn't regularly attend church for years. Once I graduated college and started a full-time job, I plugged back in and thankfully, through another friend, was invited to a Bible church. From there, the growth took off as expository teaching filled my Bible with notes and new knowledge. I joined a home group in Bible studies. I wasn't a member of that church, largely because although I enjoyed the pastor's teaching style, I knew God was calling me to be more involved in my local community versus a longer drive to church. I wrestled with moving closer to that church or finding a church closer to home. It was also during Bible studies that I learned the importance of baptism and the difference of a believer's baptism, something I'd never done despite placing my faith in Christ over 25 years ago. Matthew 28, 19 says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Although I placed my faith in Christ years ago, obedience is vital to relationship with Christ. And because of his love for me, I'm proud to stand before you this morning to proclaim that Jesus is Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you. Ryan, thank you for sharing with us and reminding us that you know we're all born with the default mode that we think we're good, and that's how we'll make it to heaven. But thank you for reminding us that we're not, and our hope is not in our goodness, but in the goodness of Christ. And so because of your clear profession of faith in him, it's my joy to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hello, my name is Diego Enzensberger. I am so glad to be here. I was raised in a Christian home with loving parents who each love the Lord with their whole heart. I have seen true conviction in what I know to be genuine faith in them and in others. One thing I always noticed about true believers is Jesus was always a dominating theme in their life. They want to talk about him, they want to tell others about him, and they want to obey him. I always recognized that, and it wasn't something that I desired on my own. Many of my questions and struggles in my youth revolved around questions of a genuine relationship with God. I was skeptical. What does loving the Lord mean? You have a relationship with him? You want to read the Bible? You just believe? At some point, I believe that maybe this is what being a Christian is. You're never sure. You just believe so you don't have to go to hell, and some people are just more churchy than others with how they express this. That seemed fake and hypocritical. Over time, as I got older, going into high school, any sincere desire for a true relationship with God was choked out by my own sin and selfish desires. The world became more interesting and desirable to me. My relationship to my parents and any authority became more and more rebellious. I left the house and went to college out of state. For the first time in my life, nobody was watching me. I could do whatever I wanted. I lived a life of sin, 
following after the world and giving in to every selfish desire. I live my life without consequence and defiance of God. Psalm 14.1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. My life was quickly removed from any hearing of the truth from God's word. When I did hear the truth from my family or friends, my heart was hard. I continued further down that path and I desired my sin. During my time in school, I met a girl. We initially became bound together through this unhealthy neediness for each other that really was a cycle of sin, which involved sexual morality, fighting, and abortion. But being dead in my sin, I just moved on. We dated five years before I proposed to her. She said yes. We continued to live in sin, living together during her schooling for the next three years before planning to get married in the summer of this year. About a year and a half ago, Christmas of 2020, my grandmother surprisingly ended up in the hospital. I went to see her because I loved her and I wanted to be there for her. It was hard to see her in that state, helpless, in pain, scared. There was nothing I could do. I couldn't even pray. I didn't know what I believed. I got to spend a few days with her. I had never been in a situation like that before. I really felt nothing. I was just dead on the inside. After a day at the hospital, mom and I got to talk. We talked about life and death and eternal life. Eternal life still didn't make sense to me. It just sounded crazy. Mom asked me what I believed and I said, I don't even know. I expressed my doubt and disbelief in God, but to be honest, I'm not even sure he is real. I can't lie and say I have a relationship with him when I have no true conviction. I told her that I wanted it to be real, but nothing about my experience in life was proof enough for me. One thing I did know is that mom and dad truly believed in God. They believed it and they lived it. We talked a while and mom told me that I should pray to ask God to help me with my unbelief. Strange, but okay. I remember driving back the next night, tired but wide awake in thought. I felt sadness and pain for my grandmother, and I prayed, God, help me with my unbelief. Show yourself to me. I prayed that prayer a few more times until my grandmother passed. Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. My question's still unanswered. Life continued. Back to this year, things are coming together. My life is starting to line itself out how I wanted it, and we are excited for the upcoming wedding. I didn't know who to ask to do the ceremony. I didn't have my own pastor, so I asked Dusty, my parents' pastor. Dusty and I talked. He asked if I was a Christian and what I believed. I tried to give him the right answers. He was honest with me. If you're a Christian, why are you living in sin? Why are you not obeying? In John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Dusty made it clear to me that he would not marry us if we were both living in sin and if we were unequally yoked. We either both needed to be Christians or not. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness to lawlessness? For what fellowship has light with darkness? I made sure we gave the right answers and we pushed through. It's strange, but as we prepared for marriage and we went through the biblical counseling, I had a strong sense of the importance of being a good husband and of someday being a good father. Christian men came to mind and stood out to me as I saw their sacrificial love for their wives and kids. I saw how my father loved my mother my whole life, how he loved me. I knew my own heart and how I could not love her that way on my own. Something was up. I began to enjoy reading the passages with the counseling and I tried to live my life in a more Christian way. I think occasionally I read my Bible on my own. Dusty encouraged me to read John. I got through four chapters. I prayed for her and our future marriage at times. The wedding got closer and closer and things started to stand out to me. 
On paper, we did not believe the same things, and this was something I had suppressed long ago, convincing myself it did not matter. We were far off in who we thought God was, if the Bible was true, creation and evolution, sanctity of marriage, and other important topics. It scared me the most when I thought about raising kids together and our relationship 15 years down the road. I got to a point where it weighed on me so much that I had to do something about it. I talked to Dusty about it and he said that I should speak with her. It's ironic, but I went down a checklist of items grilling her. I told her she had to believe these things to be true to be a Christian. I pressured her into this place and I tried to convince her that this was the only way and that our relationship was on the line. She was honest and said that she could not be convinced of these things in a day. I scared her and myself, and she was very hurt by all this. We talked with Dusty, and he told us in love that he could not marry us as a pastor. I tried to push through and find another option, but I couldn't ignore the obvious. It seemed to me that we were unequally yoked and that the decision in front of me was marry the girl that I love or obey Jesus. I obeyed, and I called off the wedding. That was very painful. I cried and cried for several days. In that time, I began to read John. All I wanted to do was read about Jesus. My sister sent me a playlist of worship songs. I would never have known where to find those. I listened to them, I sang, and I worshiped him. I gave my life to Christ that night in gratitude for his grace and goodness. Psalm 118.5, out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. In my pain, I had an unexplainable peace and comfort, and he gave me joy in him. I can remember it very well, and I pray I never forget the gift of a deep understanding of my complete total lack of anything good in me and the immense goodness of Jesus and God's love for me. I genuinely desire to read his word. I genuinely desire to worship him, and I want to tell others about him. I am a Christian now because I know the Lord has given me a change of heart that is not of myself, and I now know and see that he is holy above all else. I am wicked, and he is holy. I do not deserve his grace, but he has given it to me. Romans 3, 23 and 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. I ask myself sometimes, who's this guy singing worship songs? It's not me. It is all him. He is my righteousness. When I spoke with people and told them what was happening to me, now I have been given a new heart for the Lord and what I now know to be the Holy Spirit. All I could say was, I sound crazy and this is not like me. It was like a light switch. John 9 talks about the blind man from birth. When the Pharisees questioned him, he answered, One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. That's my testimony as well, and that's why I'm here to be baptized today. There you go. Brother, thank you for sharing with us what God has done in your life. It was... Um, it, it was hard but a privilege to have a front row seat to see what he did for you. I know he took you through some hard times to get there, but he brought you to himself. And we're so, so thankful. That was our prayer all along, and we're grateful that God has answered that prayer and that you're here today, as you said, not because of you, but because of him and what he's accomplished. Because of that, it is my true joy now to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lord God, we are so grateful for your goodness and kindness. We thank you for the gift of the gospel as it's been proclaimed over and over again this morning of how you've transformed these lives. And we recognize it is a work that you have done. Pray, God, that you would continue now to grow these who have come to true faith in their sanctification. 
And may it be a, a reminder to us all to, to pursue you with, with greater diligence and fervor. And God, we pray for any who may be with us who are not in Christ, that even today, through the, the sharing of the gospel so many times, that you would open more blind eyes and dead hearts to see the truth in Christ. We ask it in Christ's precious name. Amen.